It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. Six minutes past the hour at News Talk WSB. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful in your landscape with your garden, with your trees, with your flowers. And you can ask any question that you can come up with. How to do it better, how to do it right, how to control pests, anything you want to know, 404-872-0750. We'll go to the phones immediately. Rebecca is in Tucker, Georgia, and she joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Rebecca. Good morning. Good morning, uh, Walter. A quick question. Uh, next week, I travel back to my home place to clear out my parents' home, uh-huh. and uh, the most important thing I want to keep uh, will be a lot of the bulbs from my parents' garden, Terrific. Uh, flower garden, and what's the viability of digging them up in, in the summer, and, and what's the best way to travel back with them? Mother had beautiful peonies and beautiful, beautiful lilies I'd like to bring as many of those back, several of them are my grandmother's bulbs. Oh, wow, you sure. And, um, a lot of history and what's memories. What's the best way for me to do that? What part of the country did, did your parents live in? Arkansas, up in the northern part, up in uh, the Ozarks. If it, were, there. if it were Connecticut or Maine, for goodness sakes, or someplace like that, it's way far north, peonies from that part of the world are specially bred to be cold tolerant and to you know tolerate the conditions in that part of the world if it were way up in the northeast and they probably would not do very well down here in georgia where it's hot in the summertime and the peonies of that nature just seem not to thrive at all on the other hand arkansas is not far out of the southeast it might be considered part of the southeast so i would think that if she had success with the peonies up there you'll have success with them down here and the key is just keeping them safe and uh, happy (laughs) during the move the drive the however they get from right do i keep them damp or do i just do i keep them in a dirt in their some of the dirt or get some perlite how and travel with them. How long are you going to be there like travel next, with them. How long are you going to be there next time before you have to leave and come back home? Three uh, days, a week? To be there a week, okay. and I thought I would dig them up at the very last, at the last thing, unless I should do it You're right, but I want you to do something before you dig them up, about two days before you know you're going to get in the car and come back home. Soak the ground around the peonies. Make it really soggy almost, and then dry out, of course, over the next couple of days, and the day you leave, you have the rest. you got to shovel and go very carefully around the clump of peonies. Generally speaking, the easiest thing I find are liquor boxes. Go to a liquor store, get one of those heavy-duty boxes with the handles on the side, and you can put a trash bag, a little plastic bag in the bottom of it, or line the sides of the plastic bag, and put the peony there, and put four or five, whatever will fit in your size box, so they don't have to necessarily be separate from each other in the bottom. You can sort of pile them up together with each other. And as soon as you get okay. home, try to find a nice shady place at first to put them to recover. Um, they're not going to like being moved. You're going to cut some roots inevitably when you do the digging. But uh, right. if you put them in sort of bright shade this year and then move them to their permanent spot next spring, I think you'll be fine. Next spring. The yeah. same with the lilies. Mother has a field of, of all different, especially a lot of stargazer lilies. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's going to be near as, as much adaptation stress on the lilies. They're up right now, and I mean, you know this, they've got leaves and foliage all right. over them right now. I think, again, probably the same thing will uh, be best to soak them a couple of days before you leave and keep the ground real moist. The root system is not nearly as big on them as it is for a peony. 
I would right, keep the leaves on so them, old. but I recognize they, that as soon as you bring those lilies home and plant them in your garden, they're going to be really unhappy for a while. The leaves are going to turn brown. They're not going to look their best. Peonies probably, too. Uh, but still, I think that if you put them in a bright sun spot for the rest of this growing season and then transplant them in early, early spring of next year, that gives you the best chance of success with the lilies and with the peonies. Okay, and, and put them in a, a bright spot or a, a shade? Bright, bright uh, what I call bright shade. Bright shade. Is bright shade. I think it's good. Yeah. Okay. And All you're right. only going to leave and them there for the rest of this summer and the wintertime, and then you'll move them to the permanent spot in the garden next uh, early spring. Next spring. Yeah. Um, and my mother has a beautiful, beautiful old climbing red rose that's mm -hmm. all over the side of the carport. I don't know what kind it is, but I just know it has an incredible fragrance. Oh, good, yeah. Can I clip something of that and root it uh, that's going to be tough Is oh it? man you if we got started back earlier two months ago we might do air layering on the limbs to root one of the limbs but taking a cutting and trying to root that is probably not going to be successful rebecca Okay. It's just hard okay. to do it correctly. I and maybe I'm, not, you just, I I'm not very good with roses anyway. Yeah, let's, let's leave um, that one for the people who buy the house and they can enjoy it, have a, a nice right. uh, fragrance in well, their it's backyard. Well, it's a gorgeous thing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the encouragement. Thanks, I'm Rebecca. Gonna, I'm going to dig it all up. All right. Good <laughs> thank luck. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Terry is in Woodstock, and her tomato plants are not doing to suit her. Let's talk about it. Hey, Terry, good morning. Hey, good morning, Walter. Thanks for having me. Um yeah, I've got uh, six tomato plants. They're beautiful green color. They look pretty healthy, but they are extremely leggy. A couple <laughs> of them are like just seem like all one or two or three stalks. Yeah. The rest of them, some of them are like six feet long, even some of the branches. We've got them in 54-inch tall cages, and they're really, you know, kind of overrun. <laughs> yeah, Ashley and I were um, talking about her tomatoes an hour ago, I guess, and she said, they're already over the cone, and now they're going to put my other cage around them. My yeah. tomatoes are so big. <laughs> Mine yeah. The, the the tomatoes that grow so long are called indeterminate tomatoes. And generally, they're classed between indeterminate tomatoes, which have long, long, long vines and produce all along the vine, and determinate tomatoes, which are the ones that are sort of bushy and stay short. They produce all their flowers and all their fruit about one time within a couple of weeks of each other. And once they've harvested in the middle of the summer, then the determinate tomato vines go ahead and decline, whereas the indeterminate guys are thinking, oh, look, there's a chimney over there. Let's see if I can climb up the side of the chimney. Look at this people with the ladder having to come out and harvest the tomatoes over the top of it. So <laughs> you have indeterminate tomatoes who are just determined to go for the sky. Um, you can peach out the tips. I mean, that's one thing this is... I was going to ask you about that. Is it too late to do that? No, not at all. They've got plenty of summer to recover from that. And pinching out the tips will make uh, lower limbs down, uh, sort of spread out a little more and not be quite as tall. So now, when you say pinch out the tips, how... Like, let's say I'm on a four or five foot long thing, or mm -hmm. you mean just the tips of yeah, the. Yeah, just a little growing tip where the leaves emerge okay, gotcha, and elongate gotcha. from there. Yeah. Okay. Now, do you think that I may have caused this with. I use just the all purpose shake and feed, shake yeah. and pour, whatever you call it, instead of tomato food. It, was that not the right? No, you know, I think that, I, as long as much? you, if you follow the label rates of, of how much of the shake and feed stuff to put down, if you follow the mm -hmm. label rates, then it should not cause any inordinate, inordinate amount of growth. I would think it'd be really? fine. Really? Yeah. Okay. So you don't think it's 
too much water or anything yeah, like I don't, that. I don't think it's your fault. That's what it comes down to, Terry. I don't <laughs> think it's your fault. It's just the nature of the beast, the nature have, of the vine. Oh, I'm sorry. Should I have pinched them back more in the very beginning when yeah. they were small? Yeah. Is that part of my mistake? And then all of a sudden they got ahead of you. Actually, again, we were that's talking what, about tomatoes. Right. They said it was like you could just watch them grow. They grow so fast out there. <laughs> it was like overnight. Yeah, yeah. But once they get their ahead of steam, then they're going to go as far as they can. But if you pinch out the tip, then they'll slow down and uh, put more growth, more energy into the lower parts of the plant. Great. Well, I will definitely do that. Thanks, Walter. That's a lot of help. Hey, it's great talking to you, Terry. Thanks okay, for calling. Okay, you too. Thanks, bye. We've got, let's see, do, 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 do. go down my list right here. Alan's up in Gainesville. Alan, join us on Lawn and Garden. Whoops, wrong button. Let's try the other button right here. Alan, there you go. Hey, Alan. Hey, good morning. Good morning. How can I help? Yeah, I've got a little area with some uh, lattice in it. I've got some uh, ivy climbing up the lattice. I would like to plant some some twining, climbing vine that's very aromatic, but is not going to attract bees. Mm, wait, wait a second here. Why? I don't know if you can accomplish that because the reason for the aromatic scent is to attract pollinating insects including bees to come and pollinate that flower. Well, it's in an it's an enclosed area around my swimming pool. Yeah. Obviously, I don't want bees in there, so. Yeah. I don't know. Swimming pools tend to attract bees on their own sometimes because the bees come down and get water and take it back to their back to their hive. Um the the most fragrant vine that I have, I just love the smell of Confederate jasmine in the spring. It is a vigorous vine, so if your lattice is not so tall and not so wide, it may overwhelm it after a couple of years. But Confederate jasmine is the fragrant vine, my go-to vine for fragrance in the garden. Confederate jasmine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Another, I'd give you another option here, too, if you don't mind having an annual vine, one that just uh, comes up from seed every year and then dies back in the wintertime. I think the moon, moon vine or moonflower vine, people call it, is uh, really nice, has nice fragrance. It's particularly fragrant at night because it attracts uh, moths. And it might be less attractive to bees because the flowers are pretty tight. They, they fade. They only last for one night. And so the next day after it's opened up and been pollinated and visited by the uh, moths and things like that at night, the bees really don't have much interest in it once the flower has closed up the next morning when the sun comes up. So if you don't mind having an annual plant, moon vine, moonflower, that's the common name for it. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. You bet. Thanks for calling, Alan. Mm -hmm. It's 817 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. Time for a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Bottom line, it's going to be hot this afternoon into the 90s. Ooh, it's going to be warm. Get your gardening done this morning would be my advice. The, night, the nighttime temperatures will drop down about 20 degrees into the low 70s. A uh, very small chance of rain everywhere, so don't worry too much about rainfall today. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Dean is sat in Conyers, Georgia, in Rockdale County, and he joins us in Lawn and Garden. Dean, good morning. How you doing? I'm all right. What's going on? I have tried everything as far as like the big name uh, products. Yeah. To get rid of fleas out of the yard. Oh. Okay. I've even put uh, several plants throughout the yard, 
and it seems like every time the dogs or myself or my wife goes out, we walk back up on the porch and covered in fleas. Oh, and so what are you doing for the dog, him or herself, to control fleas on the dog? Well, I've used seven dust. I'm using the flea products to you know, try to deter them and then having to bathe them every single night. It seems Ooh. Like. Ooh, and we don't want to do that. Better. I'm even just shampoo that you'd normally put on a dog to bathe them is really going to dry out their coat and maybe cause some right. other problems you don't want to do. And certainly, you wouldn't be insect putting insecticide on them every night. That would be well, dangerous. Uh, as far as like just using Dawn dish detergent, because I know Dawn is uh, is recommended mm. by the vet to to get rid of fleas on puppies and stuff. So that's the reason why I'm bathing them just about every night with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a veterinarian, so I'm not going to comment on the safety of using Dawn dishwashing detergent, but whatever your vet says is okay. That's okay with me. I'm not going to not going to say one way or the other on that. But I will say that flea control is a three-pronged effort. You have to do all three of these consistently. One of them is to spray places, put insecticide in places where the animals lounge underneath shrubbery or by the water bowl by the faucet or wherever there are many fewer fleas out just in the grass of your lawn as there are compared to where the dogs actually spend most of their day if they're outdoor dogs they spend their day in the shade underneath shrubbery and that's the place where the flea eggs land and hatch out and reinfest and so you always have to treat the places where the dog is most likely to be and the other thing you're doing already which is to use one of the commercial flea products that has uh, fipronil one of the uh, uh, chemicals that causes the larvae not to develop into a, a young flea. You use those spot things you put on the back of their neck or other uh, commercially available things. The bathing part, again, that's going to be a veterinarian decision. If you think there's any possibility, do the well, I'll just ask you this, Dean. Do the dogs come in the house at night? Are they in the house at all? Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're in the house 99% of the time. The other thing you're going to have to do... bathroom and to play a little bit. Yeah, you're going to have to do a vacuuming. Vacuuming is a great thing to control fleas inside the house. I don't much like saying put a flea bomb off in the, in the interior of your house. I just don't like the danger of chemicals inside the house and your wife and the dogs themselves. But vacuuming inside, vacuuming, again, places where they're most likely to be, on the carpet, on the uh, floor, anywhere the dogs tends to, tends to sit around or have a, a you know, dog bed or something like that. Vacuuming, washing the dog bed very, uh, very frequently. But those three things, controlling it on the dog itself, on the floor inside the house, on the grass, and the lounging places outside. If you don't do one of those, or if you only do a couple of those, you're not going to get control of the fleas. You have to do all three consistently, and finally, at the end of the summer, you'll see the light at the end of the tunnel. There won't be any fleas there. Three things. Got to do them, and you'll get control of your fleas eventually. It's 827 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back right after news. The Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 
835. It's uh, going to be a hot one this afternoon. Highs going up into the 90s, of course. If you need your garden jobs done this morning, that's the best time to do it. Don't plan on gardening in the afternoon. You are really going to need that sweet tea to hydrate you. 404-872-0750, the number on Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, along with my friend from Pike Nursery, Mickey Gasaway. Hey, Mickey. Hey, Mike. Hey. Oh, Mike. Who's Walter. Mike? I wonder who that is. <laughs> you have another boyfriend? Yeah, oh, no. No, I'm thinking about something else. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you, ma'am. I have been watering this week. I haven't planted anything interesting, I don't guess, in my landscape. But, boy, I've sure made sure things had some water. They needed it. I planted some autumn ferns a couple of places that I had that um, they went good, and, yeah. and they look good. I think they're going to do great. I hope so. My, I, I'm thinking about, I haven't quite done it yet, but I'm thinking about where I'm going to plant a little lime hydrangea. I and, planted one of those yeah. earlier in the um, a couple of weeks ago. That's a so, beautiful plant. Wow, that's a great and looking I, hydrangea. And I think it's big enough. But I, I'm anxious to see if they're going to get bit. What do they say they're going to get? Four feet? Yeah, three? I think three to three to four somewhere if they, in there. They'll get bigger than that. Usually things do, but we'll see. But it's still a pretty plant. Love the little. I love them. Love I love all those hydrangeas. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So all right, well, we need to get down to brass tacks here. Pike every Saturday, every weekend, every Sunday as well has a Pike pick of the weekend. Mickey Gasway announces it on the show. So what's on sale for twenty percent off? Geraniums. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I bring a lot of color. About that. I love them. They're so traditional looking, and they just look like summer to me. What is that? Caliente? Is that one of the hundred? Caliente geraniums? and Calliope. Okay. They're two new ones, and they're, they're a cross between zonal geraniums, which are the big, pretty geraniums we see yeah. all the time. They're a cross between that and ivy geraniums, which hang down. Mm -hmm. The blooms are on the ivy geraniums are not quite as showy, but they're pretty, but they're not quite as full. But this is a cross between the two, so you get um, really pretty nice-looking blooms. I mean, they're big. This is what I've got this year. They look almost like the zonal geranium. Plus, they hang down over the side, nice. so they're perfect for Containers. Right, and they're more heat tolerant. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing that yeah, I remember right. from both of them is the Caliente was very heat tolerant, mm -hmm. and that's good because uh, you know we got heat. That's what we got here in that's Georgia. Right, and really geraniums are just—it's kind of my um, part of my routine—is every couple of days I go out and I um, I deadhead them. Do you do it with your fingers or with scissors? I do it with my fingers. I just snap them off. And now, if I'm in the nursery, I do it with scissors because got so many. For all our listeners, we're talking about snapping off the faded flowers. That's what mm -hmm. deadheading is, snapping them off so the plant doesn't put any more energy into making seeds where that flower used to be, but the you know, plant the doesn't have any interest in... You need in, to do it right down at yeah. the bottom so you don't have this ugly stick sticking yeah. up. And I fertilize mine. I, now, of course, I use Osmocote when I plant them. And then I use miracle Grow about every week to 10 days. And that really, because they're heavy feeders. Yeah. And yeah. that keeps them blooming. Have you seen, does uh, Pike carry the liquifeed little thing that you can attach to your garden hose? That puts no, we don't. Grow I in? wish we did. It is a um, good product. I'm sure you'll have it in the you know, summer. We've got the feeder and you can use the, um, oh, yeah, sure. the, the um, 
you know, you just put the powdered stuff in yeah. there. That's I use that a lot. I've used the liquid and the feeder thing, just like you say. You put the powder in the in the little uh, container and turn on the water, and every bit of the garden where you water gets a little bit of fertilizer too. It works great. It sure it does. Really, really does, and especially with geraniums and hibiscus. Those are the two things I probably feed more than anything. They remind me of little birds who always have their mouths open, thinking something's got to drop in here. I'm hungry now. Hibiscus and geraniums both have their mouths open, looking for something to eat. That's right. They sure do. Any classes going on this weekend? We've got one on crepe myrtles. Man, that'll be a good thing to have. Crepe myrtles are blooming. Today and uh, next week we're going to have one on attracting hummingbirds and butterflies, which you know, of course, is my passion. And don't forget that those start at nine o'clock. So if you're planning on going to either class, get in the car. Let's go. Yeah, you need to go right now. Get it done, and that'll be a great class. This is a crepe myrtle class, of course, is favorite of mine because I have such pretty crepe myrtles in my landscape, and I just think that's the most gorgeous. What's your favorite one? You know, Natchez. Got to be Natchez. The big white flowers. You know, during the Olympics, I know some people won't remember the Olympics, but it was like it was yesterday to me. That was when people would come to Atlanta. That was their favorite thing. That was the thing they talked about more than anything. The pretty bark and the pretty flowers. I think Natchez is just a super crepe myrtle. Of course, there's a color and a size for just any landscape site. So choose wisely, read the labels, and uh, and plan it. Come this morning and learn about it. All right. Mickey, it's great talking to you. Where would I look, by the way, to find out where all the pike locations are? At pikenursery.com. Of course. It's great talking to you, Mickey. See you next Saturday. Bye bye. See you then. It's 841. We got to talk to John in Columbus, Georgia. Stink bugs. Oh, man. Oh, man. John, let's talk about stink bugs. Yeah, thank you, Walter. Yeah, I got a big problem with my stink bugs. This is the second year I'm going on. Uh, the first year, what we did, we uh, sprayed uh, service dust and everything, but yeah. that didn't do no good. So this year, we start again with service dust. The uh, bugs are running under the limbs. <laughs> they are laying their eggs on the limbs. Yeah. Have you looked at one of the stink bugs closely, John, to help me to identify which kind you have? Have you looked at one real pretty close? I, as a matter of fact, I had called him and I took him into the nursery here in Good. Columbus. Good. And, and what did he they say? A, uh, they gave me a soaking product to put on the leaf as I sprayed, mm-hmm. and that still didn't help. The reason I'm asking to identify, and you might go look at one now if you can find one outside, if you have little white. Uh, for lack of a better word, little white stripes around the backside of the sink bug. And if you look at the antenna and the legs, they'll have little white stripes along the antenna and little white stripe around the leg. And that is a new kind of extremely bad stink bug called the brown marmorated stink bug. And they reproduce like crazy, and they will put their little dirty noses in every piece of okra or tomato or squash or anything. Peaches, oh, they love peaches. And they are a real problem. Well, that's what they're doing this year. So we uh, planted the uh, yellow squash, mm-hmm. and it, it's just like a picnic for them. <laughs> I don't have a great answer for you. I'll tell you that stink bugs are just tough to control. It's better to start early before they really build up the population. But seven should work. Uh, Bonide that makes the product called Eight, E-I-G-H-T. Eight should work as well. But read the label. Apply only as the label says so you have a waiting period after you do your last spray before you can pick the tomatoes or pick the squash or whatever. But um, that's the only two things that I think have much of a chance of doing much damage at all to the population, seven and eight. Evans eight seven S E V I N S one product oh. seven. Um, it's seven. been around okay. fifty years, I guess. So seven is one thing you can get from any nursery. Will have some seven, and then most nurseries will have a product called eight, which has a different chemical in it, but it's still pretty effective against hard shell things like stink bugs. Oh, all right. 
but they're tough. I think you will. Start early. Next year, next year, John, you'll have them again. Start uh, in, I would say, end of April would be about the time when your plants are about a foot tall. That is about the time to start making control of the stink bug so that it doesn't get ahead of you by June and July. All right. All, All right. right. Thank you, that one. You bet, John. Thanks for calling. Mm-hmm. You know, the same theory goes for weeds. you got to get weeds early or else they'll drop all those thousands, thousands of seeds, and then you're dealing with those seeds for the next four or five years. But if you get rid of weeds early before they put seeds out, then that's much less work for you in years to come. Ron is up in Alpharetta and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Ron, good morning. Hey, good morning, Walter. How are you? I'm fine. How can I help? Well, we just put down about 11,000 square feet of zoysia sod last you, weekend. You and whose army did that? That's a lot <laughs> yeah, of stuff. Exactly. I, I just wrote the check. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the problem? Well, my question is, my wife and I are having a little debate. Do I put down starter fertilizer? And if so, how soon do I put it down? The sod's been down for about a week, and we've got it kept it soaking wet. The sod professionals would say put the starter fertilizer down before you lay the sod because okay, it's well, right on the surface and the sod is laid down on top of it and the roots immediately have access to the nutrients. Well, I can't do that. So, okay. <laughs> so it's been how long since you put it down, Ron? Uh, last weekend, one week. I think you're fine to do it now. I think you're okay. fine. And you've kept it watered. And don't make it soggy, soggy, but I think the most of the side installers will tell you the first couple of days anyway needs to be pretty soggy so the side pieces have hydration so they get nice and watered. But then after a couple of three days, you can just keep the top inch, inch and a half of side and soil moist, but not squishy, soggy, swampy in the yard. And the starter fertilizer you can put out one day when you're watering, it washes it down into the roots, and the side should be pretty happy. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. You tell your wife we said hello. All right, thank you. All right, Ron. We'll see you, man. 404-872-0750 gets you in to take Ron's place. Charles in Athens has a very, very common thing happening to his roses this year. Hey, Charles, good morning. Hi, Walter. Hey, Charles. What's going on? I have slugs. What do I do? Are they the real slimy slugs that are about three or four inches long? What what plant are they on? On uh, roses. Wow. How how do you know the damage of a slug? What do you see on the rose leaf? I don't see any so far. But um, how do you know you have slugs? Because if you have slugs, they're certainly doing damage to the leaves. I go at night and pick them off. Oh. <laughs> I mean, do you, know, you know about the beer thing, don't you, Charles, where you put a saucer of I, beer? I've heard that all my life. How do I do it? Put on a... Yeah, a little saucer is what I use. It's a little shallow saucer, and I uh, mash it sort of into the soil so the lip of the saucer is level with the soil around it, and then get a bottle of your least favorite beer and put it in there. (laughs) And overnight, the slugs and snails will come crawling out there looking for a rose or a flower or something to eat, and they find the beer very attractive. They get in it, and most of them drown in the beer. Should I put more than one out? I've got probably... 15 square feet. Yeah, I would say two is probably five for 15 square feet. I've got a row, and quite honestly, I haven't started my slug control uh, campaign this year, but I really should this afternoon. It's not going to rain tonight, so it won't uh, dilute the beer. And so I should put one at one end of the row, one at the other end of the row for my 20 or so feet of uh, flowers. I see. Get them. Thank you very much. Beer's the stuff. Beer, you'll be surprised, I think, Charles, if you find how many slugs and snails are in your garden, all of them sort of floating around in that oh beer. Oh, that would be wonderful. <laughs> and it's a lot easier to do that than it is to uh, how to get them at night. sure is. Yes. Thanks Thank for calling. Thank you again, Walter. 
Thanks for calling, Charles. Uh, one of the other things you can do is use the iron phosphate products. There's one called Sluggo and Escargo and a couple, a couple more maybe. But they use iron phosphate as the active ingredient that poisons the snails. And iron phosphate is not harmful to pets or animals. Some of the older kind of slug poisons were. But the iron phosphate uh, kills slugs very, very effectively, nicely, is almost as good as uh, using the beer. And another way that my friend Erica Glazer says she uses herself all the time is to get the rind of a cantaloupe and put the rind of a cantaloupe out near her plants and she goes in the middle afternoon really for checking it and looks inside this cantaloupe rind and there'll be five or ten of them all feasting on this old cantaloupe that she ate with her family. And so that's another way to get rid of uh, get rid of slugs and snails or at least manage their numbers without resorting to chemicals to do it with. Right now it is 848. You're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellis weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Going to be hot this afternoon into the low 90s today. Get your garden work done in the morning. It'll be a lot more comfortable to be inside in the air conditioning this afternoon. And then tonight, lows dropping into the very low 70s, 20-degree difference between the two. Not much rain forecast, so everything's fine as far as the rain front goes. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Jimmy is out in Loganville, Georgia, and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Jimmy, good morning. Good morning. How you doing? I'm all right. What's going on? What you need? I got six pecan trees, and all of it started on one tree about two years ago, and mm-hmm. all the leaves fall off, and they got little bumps on them, and, then, and uh, I've checked the bumps, and they got worms inside yeah. them little bumps. I got great news for you, Jimmy. I only have a couple of minutes here to tell you, but the bumps on the leaves, yes, will cause leaves to fall but they don't permanently hurt the pecan tree. It's called phylloxera, and this phylloxera is a little bug that lays its eggs on the pecan leaf and has little worms as, they, as the eggs hatch out. But to be truthful, there's not much you can do about it, and frankly, it doesn't hurt the part pecan tree particularly at all. Well, they quit bearing. Well, that wasn't the phylloxera's problem. It was probably because you didn't fertilize. That's the biggest thing that keeps them from bearing. Well, I fertilized. I fertilized them twice a year with uh, pecan fertilizer. Good, good. You followed the label and everything on the fertilizer. Yeah, that's the best thing you can do for for a pecan tree. It may take more than a year to get a, har- a crop from them, to harvest any pecans from them, because the the pecan tree is sort of gradually building up reserves in the trunk and in the in the upper part of the tree, sometimes in the roots as well. And those reserves are built up over two or three years as you fertilize regularly. So I'm saying keep the fertilization going and uh, don't worry too much about the bumps on the leaves because phylloxera doesn't hurt them at all. Thanks for calling, Jimmy. We've got to get out of here. Ashley Frasca did a fabulous job answering questions off the air and screening our calls this morning. Scott Maxwell, of course, gets all sorts of music. The man is a genius with music and also keeps us on the air throughout the morning. We appreciate that as well. If you didn't get your questions answered, go to my website, WalterReeves.com. you see information about our trip to Cuba and everything else that we're going to do and what you should be doing in your garden as well. And this is Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener. I will see you right here next Saturday morning for another edition of Lawn and Garden. <laughs>